0: The big time stuff
1: that I wish I had. The big time stuff that'll make you mad. The big time stuff. Big time stuff. I like the big time, stuff. big time stuff. I like the big time stuff that I never had.
2: All right, so, so, Chris, let's do the intro. Uh, why don't you do it this time?
0: Wow, my name is Chris Heidel, and this is the Chris and Neil podcast, and we're glad you're joining us. I have on the line Mr. Neil Modi, the um, fifth-generation Gudrasi businessman, <laughs> born in Kenya, making things happen in Bellevue, Washington. Born in Portland. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we have uh, Brandon Steiner with us as well. Brandon is, of course, famous for having purchased the old Yankee Stadium, but more importantly, behind the scenes, he's an innovator in creating some of the earliest sports bars. And then building a franchise empire, um, of course, along with the Yankees, helping them to both legitimize the memorabilia business and then helping to grow that business into what is today a pretty remarkable, outstanding franchise, multimillion-dollar business. So, Brandon, welcome. It's great to have you with us. It really well, it's, great.
1: it's great to be here. And, uh, you know, I've got the unbelievable opportunity to hang out for, like, a couple of days with Neil Moody. Who probably,
2: Moody, let's get it right.
1: Modi. don't I'm on a roll. let's let's not interrupt. But what I was going to say is that I gave Neil a few more days, he'd be probably running the company because that's how he runs. That's how he rolls. You know, when I went into a bank the other day and they made me list down my assets, and I put both you and Neil down because you guys are assets to me. So there's no question as, as a friend and, and also always as his guidance and advisors. There's nobody better than the two of you. You guys are so smart, loyal, but secretly smart. You know what I mean? You know, I'm a little more out in front of it, Yankee Stadium, Derek Jeter, whatever it is. But you guys just fly underneath the radar with a high level of smartness. That's what I love about both of you. And you both do it well. So always love the conversation, whatever we're going to get into today. But Neil always comes in and has some insight, and he doesn't think I'm listening, but I am. I'm listening. It's just I have a filter. No, I have a filter. It's not a skill. It's a filter. But you can you it's a filter. Yeah. Anyway, it's great to be with you and uh nice to talk with you, my friend.
2: You know, Chris I you go first. Okay. I was going to say, uh, you know, I've got questions for, for Brandon. I know you do too. Uh, you can go first. I think we should bring Brandon in just to our, you know, our random questions towards the end. You know, stuff about cryptocurrency, just stuff about just in general what he's seen uh, in the world. So that's the only thing I wanted to throw out for the format today. That's my agenda for the day. You, you go for the first question with Brandon. Put him on the hot seat i've got the electrocutors hooked up to him in case he doesn't tell the truth
0: yeah well brandon you've had a lot of inspirations in your life i think none more than your mom and um yeah. Yeah. you know you've written about it in your book you've got to have balls a book i highly recommend to anyone you. listening it tells the story of brandon um and the childhood and the the challenges he's overcome and uh, it's a story that inspires me, and I guess, in turn, your mom inspired me. But, um, you know, when you think back, I mean, I'm, I'm going through a little family issue now until the memories flood in, Brandon, but what's one of the greatest memories you have of your mom and a lesson that's lasted for you and that you think has a great impact even today on your business and your life?
1: Well, I, I give—I I mean, so many stories and I just constantly blog about them and write about them. It's, just, it's always easy to hear a mother story as it is to you know, me lecture you and tell you what you're supposed to do because we all know about the shit that we're supposed to do, but then we don't do it, you know? And that's the problem. It's like if we all just did what we were supposed to do or we knew what to do, we would be so much better off. But unfortunately, that's not how the world works. But I was like one of those kids who actually listened to his mother. I actually did a lot of the stuff my mother told me and... I made a fortune. I did well. I mean, I got to tell you, man, if my mother was alive, I'd be giving her royalties uh, besides everything else. I mean, just because a lot of those ideas I put into play. But, you know, I remember a story. My mother was really uh, all over me, you know, because I talk like this. And I was, you know, I was a Brooklyn guy. And, you know, I just had this rough Brooklyn accent, didn't speak well, didn't pronounce a few letters. I think it was R and S I struggled with. And my mother wanted to go and she she was like, you gotta go to a speech person. And I think it was a speech uh, therapist. therapist. And uh, I just hated it, you know, but she had to sit in a room and pronounce letters. It was just annoying and I didn't want to do it. So I came home and I said, mom, um, I'm not doing this. I'm not going back. I don't care. She's like, you're not going anywhere. Let me tell you where you're not going. You're not going anywhere if you're gonna talk like this and you're gonna talk like a truck driver and you're gonna. one day I came home from school and says, you know, I want to take you somewhere. I want to introduce you to somebody who I think maybe could, you maybe have a future. You should probably get to know him. And it's maybe a career that you may be interested in. So we got in the car. We drove. And sure enough, we went to go see Mr. Smith, who uh, right alongside – he was right alongside his uh, sanitation truck, garbage truck. And he was a garbage man. I'd uh, been on the job uh, – 20 years and he looked at me and said you know it's a great profession my mother said listen there's nothing wrong with sanitational workers they work hard they get a pension you get up every morning you go and you get the garbage you load the truck up and uh you know if you're going to speak the way you speak this could be a good career for you this could be something that you could actually aspire to and do and you'll do well you know especially you know if you don't wanna really want to work on your skills and you really feel like you're good the way you are, I could say you up with Joe and as soon as you're old enough, you'll take the test and maybe you could be a sanitational uh, engineer. <laughs> and uh you know, I went home that night, I was thinking, you know, like nothing wrong with being a garbage man. I mean I make a good living, but it's definitely not something I was uh, uh Indian parents. Yeah, I went right back to that I went right back to that uh, speech consultant. And um <laughs> And, and really and, and it really started working on how i spoke and, and really started getting a little better understanding of the command of the english language and all that sort of thing and i think the lesson learned in that was that it's okay to have some flaws um and it, it's most important to recognize them a lot of us w- don't want to recognize our flaws or mistakes or things that we could improve on and listen we're all flawed but and it doesn't mean that, and, and it doesn't mean it's a bad thing but There are a lot of the thing. The thing I really learned there was that it's okay to work on some of your flaws. Some of your flaws are fixable, and uh, that was a flaw that was fixable for me. And I'm grateful that I did it at such a young age, because you know it's not an easy flaw, but it's not an impossible flaw to get through. And I think you run through that a lot with business. That you know you let a nagging flaw in business, whether it be an employee or something you may be invested in, and it really could bring down the house over time or limit you. And you should you you gotta run to your problems, not away from them. And uh, you'd be surprised how much you can get done when you get some of those little nagging things, uh, you know, away from yourself. And uh, that was a valuable lesson that mom taught me al- amongst many. But um, I remember uh, I was the it was the freezing cold. And she you know, she owned the salon about three blocks away. She says, "Do me a favor. Go get singles. Uh, here's a hundred dollars. Get a hundred singles for me." I want you to get changed. So I went and ran over the, the salon. It was maybe 10 degrees below zero. And I gave him the $100. And uh, he gave me the stack of ones. And I put it in my pocket. I got it home. My mother sat there and says, Count this. And it was 92 or 94 ones. says, There's only $94 here. Did you count it? I said, No. I mean, he sent me to get the change. The guy gave it to me. He says, "Well, you must have lost it. You must have dropped it." So, in, a, in ten degree weather, I'm outside on the street, looking underneath cars, looking everywhere for the for the money. I thought I lost. You know, back in 197, that was a lot of money. You know, five or six dollars. And I must have been out there two hours. My fingers were ready to frost frosted. Finally, I went back to the beauty salon where the guy had given me the supposedly hundred dollars. I said, "Listen, are you sure you gave me this money? Because I just can't find it. It's nowhere." He goes. I didn't give you a hundred dollars. I gave you ninety-four or ninety-five. And he looked at me. He goes, "You got to count your change, son." And you know, I, I went back to you know went back to my mother, and she's like, "Listen, you know, when somebody gives you money, it's it's not that you distrust or trust, but people make mistakes, and you got to double check and you got to count." And uh, I always counted my change after that. But but the lesson really learned there is, and it was a great lesson, which is, listen, just because you trust somebody to do something doesn't mean they're necessarily going to do it sometimes maliciously they don't do it and sometimes by mistake they do it but mistakes do get made but professionals and people that are good at what they do go back and double check they don't just leave things for chance and that was a very valuable lesson after two hours in the freezing cold looking for that money is that there was no way anybody was giving me anything without me double counting and double checking especially something that was important like that five dollars back then was very very important and you think about some of the important things that somehow you just trust somebody to do and I'm like no it's not what you expect, it's what you inspect. That was a good wow. lesson, a mom lesson, too.
0: Yeah, and that's a beautiful turn of phrase, too.
1: So, yeah. my mom, mom always had some lessons. She was a good teacher.
0: Yeah, but she also, you know, Brandon, again, one of the things I love is just the heart that comes through with your mom the caring, the thoughtfulness. I mean, it's I wasn't feeling that heart baby. and
1: caring back then, though, by the way. I was ready to kill her, or kill yeah, the guy that me, shorted me the five bucks, but.
0: I know, Brandon. I think about it now. I mean, I have a dear friend, the same thing. We grew up, his mom was Greek, and uh, she was a worrier. She's always worrying. Johnny, do this. Johnny, do that. Johnny, don't forget. Don't Get your sweater. Blah, blah, blah. And his mom just passed away, and he said, you know what, Chris? I used to fuss at my mom. I got it. I'm... He says, but no one in the whole universe is going to worry about me like she did. Yeah. No one's going to care as much. And that didn't really hit him solidly in the heart until she passed away. Yeah. So I think you kind of recognize that, even though it was love. <laughs> it was surrounded in an iron fist sometimes.
1: You know, I always say, you know, worry, there's only two things you can worry about, by the way, Ch- not changing the subject, because, you know, having your mom care about you, n- nobody cares about you more than your mom. And um, I always tell kids, like, you know, got to listen to your mother. You don't have to do everything, but you got to listen. But... I always say there's only two things you could worry. You know what they are, Neil? Worry what's about to happen and worry about what just happened. Anything else is a complete, absolute waste of time. Go to a bar, get a drink. Because I I really minimize my worrying because there's so many things on any given moment you can worry about. Worry about what just happened and worry about just what's about to happen. That, okay, I can deal with that, like, that's, that's reasonable. But you know I, I, I get a little crazy when I see people that just, I mean, you know worrying is one of the number one diseases in this country and, and it kills you because uh, stress is fattening, it, it, it can really eat away at you and a lot of bad things happen from stress. And I wish they talked more about that in schools and in grade schools and catching kids early on uh, because it, a lot of that does start with when you're younger And a lot of it does do a lot of damage when you're younger, when you don't realize that there's a lot of things you just shouldn't be worrying about because there's nothing you can do about it. And you try to worry about the things you can control, which is what's about to happen and what just happened. And uh, I used to be a real worrywart. My favorite book, one of the great ones, it's got to be, I don't know how many years old, but it's a Dale Carnegie, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. Love that book. On the 40th page... Right, Chris? It says, <laughs> if this book hasn't had a profound impact on you, please take it and throw it in the garbage. And I love the clarity of that. If this book hasn't changed the way you think and feel about worrying, please toss it. Love that. I've given away probably 100 copies of that book. It's what, a great so, book.
2: So this from the entrepreneur who turns you know, his passion for sports memorabilia into an empire, he becomes partners with the Yankees. I don't know. You've been to a game with Brandon before? It's his name, well his last name's Steiner. It Might as well be Steinbrenner.
1: No, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. I got to give him his props. And, <laughs> know, George you, George is one of the great owners of all time let and, me you know, just tell you,
2: it's a special thing to go with Brandon to a Yankees game because of, you know, his love for the team and the team's love for him. How do you take that advice and, you know, how do you think about the lessons your mom taught you and how do you turn this hobby into this this sports empire?
1: Well, I think it's like everything else. I mean, first of all, I think everything, I believe in divine intervention. I think everything that happens to you does come around at some point and play an effect later on. Everything's all connected. I mean, I met George Steinbrenner in the 80s, uh, first time at college, just to give a speech, first one to tell me that the sports thing's a business. And believe me, in 1978, no one was thinking sports was a business. No one. And he was, I mean, it really resonated with me. And then in the mid-'80s, I I was uh, partners with a partner of the Yankees who was obviously very limited when you're partners with George. But, you know, we used to go up to the suite all the time, and I got to watch George operate a little bit and see his intensity level and, I mean, watch a whole bunch of games with him over the course of two or three years. And that was a great experience. And then sure enough, 10 years later, here I am, or 20 years later actually, here I am sitting across the table negotiating with the Yankees and George so a, a lot of things come around. You don't know where, who. You do something with someone that you don't really think is a big deal, but before you know it, you're doing something big, and that person's best friend is that person. So you don't really know how things get connected, and I think it's really important to make sure that you assume that everybody's all connected. Um, and I, and I, that's one of the more valuable lessons. Like, you, you just can't be kind, and, and you can't try to do as much good. You can't do enough good because it all kind of comes around, and I think when you do really good work, um, people notice and I, I think as a kid you know I have kids and you know, I was, you know working my tail off at 10 at 11 and 12 and really having a neighborhood notice you know I was in a neighborhood where a lot of kids didn't work like you know I was like a little bit of like a you know you talk about Wayne Gretzky he was skating when he was like three you know working at 10 the way I was working hustling and maneuvering I think you know gave me a lot of confidence and and you know come up with an idea and execute it. even though it's on a really micro level um, I think that kind of stuff resonates and carries forward it people always ask like, how do you get a Steiner started how do you do a Yankee Steiner or meet a Derek Jeter or an Eli Manning but you know I revert back to when I was 10 11 12 when you're knocking on doors and you're trying to develop relationships with people to get the newspapers delivered or get fruit and vegetables delivered or just try to talk somebody into hiring you to give out circulars on the L. so you know, for me, that's the va- that, that's how you do it. I mean, you know, I, you don't just go and do a Yankee-Steiner deal. What you do is you work your tail off, and you, you become really, really good at whatever you've committed to do. And, you know, whether I was a dishwasher at the time, you know, I had a nice little business, you know, going into the 2000, 2001, 2003. I'd already been in business 15 years before I did Yankee-Steiner. A lot of sleepless nights, a lot of 23-hour days, you know, I mean – Everybody's like, yeah, Brandon, you're all over the stadium. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, there was a time when I go in the office and pull out my Rolodex and just make calls all day that no one would answer and hoping that a few people would call back. And then maybe once in a while someone would say, yeah, I'll give you a meeting. How about all those weeks? You know how hard that is to go home and have your wife support you? Years like that, right? Years. I mean, basically two, three years of your wife supporting you, you going home and coming up with some kind of a cocktail story that, you know, everything's good and yeah things are picking up. Just just one or two days away, you know, like just, we're just one or two days away from this thing clicking. It's just almost there. You know, and then your mother-in-law comes home and says, somebody's going to come and sign that baseball and someone's going to buy it. So the man comes in, signs the ball with, with, a, with a pen. That's right. Yeah. And then somebody's going to buy that. I mean, how are you going to possibly support my daughter with that? <laughs> now, it looks sexy now because people are collecting balls, but, I mean, there's a lot of things that have transpired, you know, between that concept and then where it is now. I mean, it's just –
2: And your 3,000th game. To... Actually, this Sunday will be his 3,000th uh, sporting event, so he's pretty excited to go to Yankees game, see them beat the Indians, right? I now, I'm not
1: sure what that says about my family and my wife, that I've gone <laughs> to that many games. Your priorities,
0: your priorities. Well, I, yeah, well, I mean, yeah. His priorities are pretty
2: simple. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's threefold from my, from my view, so please correct me if I'm wrong. It's your family, it's sports, and it's how to provide for your family through sports.
1: Well, it's my family. It's faith. You know, you have to have faith in a spirit, you know, about that, that the right thing, and you can do good things out there, do good things for people. Obviously, believe in God and, and believe in a higher power. I think that's got to be you know that's that's the difference of me as a businessman today versus when i was a kid you know i never understood the spiritual part of it until i ran to isaac tigret when i opened up the hard rock cafe in new york city which was a huge break in itself by the way uh thousands of people apply for that job and i get that job and isaac was into sai baba who was a guru uh, yeah. in, in india and uh, that was my first introduction to spiritual uh faith and and, and doing as much as you can for as many people you Which can. Which Sai Baba was he into? Um, There was a big picture of Sai Baba. We actually were going to go see Sai Baba. He was a, he was a, a guru and and. Um,
2: Satya Sai Baba.
1: I really never understood because you know Isaac would come in and uh, Hard Rock was packed and he'd buy somebody a meal or he would sit there and talk to almost like a homeless person for two hours and I never understood that so I didn't think where was that going to get us. And he really explained about how important it was to be kind to people and not be judgmental and, and really to treat people people great, treat everyone great. Um, and that's a great lesson learned. I remember turning to Isaac, uh, and Hard Rock Cafe was one of the great openings in restaurant history. Um, it opened up with over 300 people online for almost a year and a half straight every day for almost nine hours a day, ten hours a day with a line. Uh, I've never seen anything like it. And Isaac turned to me, goes, "I'm afraid that we're too busy, too fast, and we're going to disappoint the people." And that's, just a, <laughs> and that's just a completely odd business statement. That we're too busy, too many people, and I don't want to disappoint them. It's a quality and his experience I want them to have. And I, I, you know, who says I wish I wasn't making this much money, and I wish I was a little less popular? Not many people. And that was the beginning of me starting to really understand that you know the quality of uh, of product and, and, and how you approach people and what people walk away from. The lesson there is like, what are people walking away from? Not what you get from them, but what did they walk away from the experience of your, 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 of your business and of you? So yeah, you know, listen, I, I'm, I'm, I, I love business. I'm not gonna lie. So I love business. The yeah, there's Family, no question. And, and business. business. I mean, I love business. I love talking about business. I love the money. I like it because the money is the scorecard. I don't really care that much about the money, but I love the money because it's the scorecard, and I want to win. But I love also the influence that you, you can take the money and whatever it is you're doing really well and help others with it. And I've been really fortunate to do a lot of that. So uh, you know, tell, I,
2: tell us about Project X. Is that why you started it?
1: yeah i think so i mean chris you love this and i can't wait for you to come into town and come on project x because you're always a great judge of of business and of unusual ideas whenever we wherever at the mckay roundtable so to speak but project X, you know i was you know chris i don't know if you watch the shark tank but uh, neil and i were talking about this like the shark tank started really pissing me off that's a show that i know it's (laughs) i love mark cuban and 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 i have a relationship with him and and also i watch it when i go home with my wife a lot we watch shark tank but i don't like the way they treat entrepreneurs on the show i don't feel they give them the respect i mean i think it's very courageous when people go on a show i think it's very courageous for anybody to take the time not only their money and their and and everything to come up with an idea you know how, you know how courageous that is and how how much you need balls to do that and I, and i respect that that to me is the ultimate i think it's the ultimate like somebody giving of themselves to try to figure out what's missing What's on national next TV, you know, what I mean? and, but in, but in general, and I think yeah. when, when people see that on TV, the beating that these people take and, and the way they've been browbeat and that if it's not scalable. And first of all, entrepreneurism is in all facets of life. I think that people always ask me, you know, I, I always struggled in school growing up. Like, Do you fail in school? I'm like, no, no, school failed me. And I feel that right now school in a lot of ways are failing entrepreneurs in this country. For sure, I mean, entrepreneurism is sticking a little program, which, I, I, listen, it's better now than what they had 20 years ago. They have at least, at least an entrepreneur program, but they stick it in the business school. Shame on the universities in this country. Shame on them. Entrepreneurism should be in every college, every program. There's entrepreneurism in architecture, in engineering, and nursing, and doctor, lawyer, business, everything. Everyone should be thinking about what else, what's next. That's what this country was all about, right? When you talk about 30, 40 years ago, I mean, back in the 50s, back in the 60s, everyone was thinking what else, what's next. Now you have only a sector of it, and another sector's been kind of beat down and beat up. And so I what, like what, what, I like what I've seen recently with apps, what's going on with the web, the changes going on in the world, and I love the young generation that's coming, which brings me to Project X. Like, I think we need to hear more people's ideas, and I think give them guidance, not only about scale and making money on these people, but there's a lot of people sitting with a lot of ideas. They're naive. They don't know better. And I'd love to bring guests like Neil, like yourself, and help these people. Give them some guidance. Neil's like a master at it. I mean, he's a natural consultant. He's a natural consultant. You are,
2: to that word, but, okay, but, you know, but, but, but you are, you
1: know, when, when I say consulting, like you're a natural advisor, yeah. you're a natural, you can, you can dive into the deep end of the pool without getting wet. It really, it's, it's seamless for you. You can just jump into somebody's stuff. I've seen you do it a hundred times, five, 10 times with me. And I think that we need more people available, not just based like Neil will do that, but he's looking for the deal. That's his job. He's looking for the next deal. He's buying companies. He's buying into companies. But I love to get a group of people, and that's what the show is, to come on and give it up for free a little bit, to really empower and and, and support some of the younger people and even some of the older people that are coming up with ideas that are a little bit afraid. They don't have the full complement of knowing how to put these things together. And they need some guidance and advice. That's what Project X is. I'm not here to make any money on it. I'm here to connect people. If Neil wants to sit back and watch and all of a sudden cherry pick some ideas and connect with those people offline after he's seen something on the show, great. I'm open. there's a lot of private equity and money managers and people that are serial entrepreneurs and I hope they do that. Um, but I'm excited about it because I get, I don't know about you guys, but I get at least five, maybe even some weeks, 10 requests for somebody just to give them 10 to 15 minutes that want to run an idea by me. And a lot of them are really lost. They need guidance and advice. So Project X is on my Facebook. You gotta you know, it's live on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So if you just go to my social media feed, you you get the you get the notification, and bam, you know, you're there. And so that's what's how up. do we
0: find you um, on your social media feed, Brandon? Is it uh, just available at yeah. brandonsteiner.com? Yeah,
1: I mean, I also you know my blog's on brandonsteiner.com. You register for that, or if you just go to Brandon Steiner Facebook, you'll see me. Um, Facebook.com/steiner. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a beautiful thing. I mean, and you know it's something. The feedback on this, Chris, I have done a lot of things, and I'm grateful for all of them. I can't believe the feedback on this, where people are just so excited and and weighing in. The emails I've gotten from some people I haven't heard for ages that want to come on the show or have ideas, they want to come on the show with that. So I, I, I got a good feeling about it. And you know, kudos to the Shark Tank. I, I mean, they got entrepreneurship on the map a little bit more, which I think entrepreneurship is the new celebrity. I think it's a hot, hot topic in this country. I'm really excited that finally I'm a little bit more in the norm because so I was always, as a kid, the exception. I was like the weirdo. Like, so, I think something's wrong with that kid. But <laughs> He's yeah. not going
0: to law school or medical <laughs> school. He's out, you know, selling fruit on the street. Yeah, exactly.
1: So, you know, I'm excited. You know, I'm excited. I'm excited to hear these ideas and guide people a little bit and give them, give them a little push, give them a little boost. This is good. It's going to be a good thing.
0: Yeah, I always lament, Brandon. I work with so many people and um, different businesses. I always think of them as you know, accidental entrepreneurs. So kind of aligning with what you said, I mean, whether you're going to law school or medical school or uh, if you're going to be an actor or actress, whatever you're studying, you should have an understanding of entrepreneurship, of what the bones are like to run a business. How can you even just conceptualize it? Because too many people are thrown out there, and we're—let's face it—every single person's in business for themselves. <laughs> every single person I every agree. Day is agree to get with up you and more. sell themselves. Yeah, so I'm I'm in alignment with you. I've thought about it a little differently, but it's great to know you're doing this, and I would be honored to share anything I can on Project X with
1: you. Can't wait, man. If we if we have to Skype you in, or hopefully you're making a trip to New York, you know we'll get you on. I wish Neil was staying a little longer, man, because we'd, have, we'd be unbelievable on this show. He's he's gonna be unbelievable on this show. I mean, the, the show does have time limits, but he'd be unbelievable on this show, though. You, you'd be you'd be right, you be right up your alley. Yeah, it's Well, a good I'm thing. I'm excited
0: about it, Brandon. And thanks for p- spearheading that. You know, you've done so many things that are. Um, again, I I mentioned the heart of your mother. I see it in you, um, but of course. You are taking things to a, a whole nother level. I mean, you've um, helped with raising money for the, the group homes for children who are at risk, um, both boys and girls. And, you know, I, I wanted to ask, what have you found among all your charitable endeavors to be the most fulfilling? I know you're, you're,
2: you're not stopping. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's even got a drive going for the Puerto Rican hurricane victims
1: I don't think you know I, 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 to, to me I think the, the the best thing that I've seen happen charity wise is you know we were in Austin my wife and I with my daughter we were walking down the street we just eating a big meal so we had a bunch of leftovers and uh, I saw my daughter walk across the street to talk to a homeless person and I looked at my wife I was like well, where's Nicole going and, and she went over and then I followed her over and she said dad this is Joe I'm like and give me that food right here Joe and i realized that my daughter knew the homeless person and uh she did work for the homeless she's just a couple years out of school now and you know to me you know i i think you know when you have some success it's one thing what you could do but then you really th- the real real the real bonus is is to teach your kids that just because they just because they ended up on third base or or born on third base doesn't mean they had a triple and uh, I think my kids understood that. You know, when I when I saw that with, with my daughter, like she understood that the the benefit is that she's got an advantage, and and to do something with it, and the most important thing to do with it is to help others. And she's seen me do a lot of charity work, and and my wife and I do a ton, but we enjoy it. We get great joy out of it, uh, especially when we surprise people. Um, but to see my daughter, you know, get out in front of it and and to have that kind of rapport and be committed and that's her thing working with homeless people I think my favorite thing is just my two acts of kindness in the morning we try to do two things every morning when I come in and that people don't expect they don't see coming two acts of kindness we send two things out it could be a book or check a note or card just paying something forward to somebody that's not expecting it whether it be for them or for their charity or and, you know, I think when you can do that regularly, I've been doing that for quite a while. Um, and then the, the second favorite thing is I get the two thank you cards about three hours later, handwritten. And I'm old school. I still love a handwritten note, and uh to keep getting those. People ask my favorite collectible, Chris, and it's, it's this box of thank you notes from the last, like, 10 or 15 years We just will make you want to cry, and that's every now and then I just sit down and just reread them, and it's not that complicated. You know, just whether you're sending somebody a gift card for – Five bucks Starbucks, or just you know, you realize somebody's house burned down, and you know, maybe you're picking up a few hundred dollars in a furniture gift card or that kind of thing. I, I you know, whatever it is, um, I think that if we all kind of just figure out how to do something, yeah, care more, yeah, just care about something other than yourself on a regular basis is a, is a cool thing, and that's what I'd like to see happen a little bit more. Um, unfortunately, you know, we're living in a, in a really crazy time right now in this country, but. I'm not following that trend, Uh, I'm not really agreeing with that trend all that well, so I'm creating my own, which is, I'm just trying to do a couple really nice things a day that I have no benefit. Matter of fact, sometimes these people don't even know that I've done it, and I'm just putting it out there, and I'm hoping that people follow that trend.
0: I think that's a beautiful uh, daily practice. Brandon, what other tricks do you have up your sleeve during the day?
1: just having fun I mean I think I think having fun is a key factor uh, I mean I've been having a lot of fun I mean I, I think you know developing relationships is a job you know finding new jobs is a job you know if, you know as you know Chris it's like you know the best business you know comes and, and the best you know the best business and best things you probably do in business comes from you know the best relationships where you have trust and good communication so it takes time and you can text and Instagram and do a quick tweet and you you can do all that crap but you know at the end of the day you know a little FaceTime and a phone call and a handwritten note I still think matter and um, I'm still going old, old school on that although I do believe in the social media I think it's a great opportunity extension to communicate to more people more often but I think that the people that matter to you the most and the things that you want to really go after and do as a business person you got to put a little extra mustard on that hot dog you got to put a little extra oomph into it and it's, it, you know, that's one of the things I like about Neil, by the way, again, is he gets off his butt and gets on a plane. You know, he goes and sees people. And, and it's unbelievable. And I, I love that about him. And everybody always has an excuse about why they can't do stuff. I probably lead the league in it. But it's like there's something, there's an art to getting up and going to see the people that matter to you the most. And there's an art to just reaching out to people that matter to you the most. And I love that. Uh, I, I highly recommend it. And And, you know, Chris, you know, um people trust you a lot, you know, with what you do. You're good at what you do, but also you always you're the master of the personal touch and the little things. And I love that about you. And I think, you know, we're three guys, I think we kind of do it in our own way. There's not one specific way to do this. I think that you you should find your own little way to do it that makes you unique, but doing nothing was not one of the multiple choice answers to my question. And a lot of people, they get a little confused and and they do nothing. And they're just sitting waiting, you know, for they think they think that success is just going to get blown in on a a windy day onto their lap. And it just doesn't happen. Um, Yeah,
0: Brandon, I I agree with you. I think the the multimedia explosion, the Twitter, Snapchat, all of that does help us to communicate better. But there's only one way to experience deep listening which is the path to love and compassion and understanding of another person. That is what you're saying. You've got to put that extra mustard on the hot dog. You've got to go. You've got to spend the time. If you really want a deep understanding of someone and then really want to make a difference in their lives and in your own, that's the only way. Yeah, I think
2: that starts with yourself. I'm with you. I think we should take this as the perfect opportunity to ask if Brendan wants to come to a silent retreat with us sometime, Chris.
1: I'm not coming. Um, <laughs> not, not, not coming. Not, but I'm glad. Thanks for asking. That would be like asking hours? Muhammad
0: Ali to be quiet.
1: Yeah, not that. I don't, not that I have a problem being quiet, but i just. I'm not, I'm not feeling this, and I'm just not, not probably ready for it. I'm in a different. I'm like kind of sprinting in a different direction right now, uh, but I, w- I would. I want to end my my this this conversation on my end because I know you guys will keep going after me. But I want to end on one thing about the Cam Newton thing. Uh, because you know a lot, of, a lot of talked about you know Cam with the reporter, and you're seeing a lot of players, you know, really doing some bonehead things or some mistakes. And I'll say this: um, being in the sports world for 30 years at Steiner Sports, and I've seen just about every great player pretty up close and personal with very few exceptions. Just because you could throw the ball down the field and run really fast and hit home runs and throw a 95-mile-an-hour fastball only entitles you to do one thing, be a good player. Doesn't mean you're a good spokesman. Doesn't mean you're a good person. Doesn't mean you're you're the person that is a role model. But here's what I will say, is that we have to be as tough as possible because if players want the money and the opportunity to make this cut, you know, the big money, to play in the big arenas, to play on the big stage, then they've got to take the big responsibility that goes with it. They've got to, be, to take the big accountability that goes with it. Because there's plenty of places to go play where, you know, I could send a lot of baseball players to double and triple A. There's Canadian football for camp to go play, and nobody's going to bother them. But if you want to get on the big stage, then you got to take the big accountability with it you got to be a role model whether you like it or not. And you are responsible for what you say and what you do. And we have to do a better job. And this is my big problem. People talk about the colleges and paying the players. How about just teaching the players how to do the right stuff and putting those classes in play? You really, I mean, how about getting more media training, understanding what comes with the pro contract How about spending more money and time with players on that stuff? Because it's not easy. I don't blame Cam Newton alone. I blame a lot of other factors because it's not easy to be such a great athlete and to be a great person and to be a great role model and to be a great media spokesperson when all of a sudden your game is at such a high level. People expect your other parts of your game to be on that high level. I didn't get to do PR and media overnight. I mean, I didn't get to learn how to Brandon, go and do these things.
0: To, you couldn't even talk right. Exactly. <laughs> I was almost
1: a garbage <laughs> man. Yeah, you had to work on it, man. So my, you know, my message is, Chris, hey, focus on these kids in high school and college and, and widen the school, widen the school and academic approach. And instead of busting these kids on biology and chemistry, which they're never going to take and get through more than likely, although the option for them should be there. Teach them. Teach them about all these things that come with ultimate responsibility, the profession that they're interested in getting in. Being a professional sports player comes with a lot of accountability, a lot of media responsibility, and role model responsibility. Teach them. Prepare our players and kids better. Because Lord knows you're taking advantage of these kids every which other way. At least we could do is give that back to him and not all of a sudden expect him to all of a sudden get in front of 20 cameras at the age of 21 and expect him to go ace it and not make a mistake. And then all of a sudden, you know, try to bury the player because he's done some of the bonehead. If I did, if I got buried for every bonehead thing I did at the age of 20, 21, 22, I'd probably be in jail. (laughs) I mean, think about the insane things you did, you know, at the end of college and right after college. And imagine if that was on... Imagine if that was we, on Broadway. We both skipped those phases. We didn't have Brandon, those phases. every
2: day, a
0: part of my training in expressing my gratitude is that there was not Facebook or Snapchat <laughs> or Exactly, exactly. and people weren't photographing that stuff. My it's goodness. a tougher world for these kids today, yeah. there's no doubt. And I've already, thanks to you, been building a new college curriculum that includes entrepreneurship and an accountability course that are mandatory. And <laughs> I'm going to be promoting cool.
2: this.
1: Hey, Chris, All right, Chris, I'm going to
0: run, one, Chris. One last 20-second no, no. okay, tw- yep.
2: question yep. from, from you, Chris, and one last 20-second question from me, and then Brandon's out. What, what is your what is your lightning round question for him? Okay. I'll go first. Okay, yeah. I'll go first. Hey, what was your favorite sporting event? You know, you, you just came across 3,000. Uh, by the way, he's offering a discount for – Oh, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Put in <laughs> like the code Starters 3,000 Sports? on Steinersports.com. Yeah, you 40% off.
1: That's a no-brainer, Neil. No-brainer, my favorite sporting event. Why? Because the emotions were high. The waiting was high. I always say it's not the event itself. It's the anticipation of the event that is really the great thing. Give somebody a ticket to a great event two hours before the event. It nowhere matches giving somebody that same ticket six months ahead. The anticipation of an event is amazing. 54 years in waiting, the New York Rangers were waiting to win a Stanley Cup. I sat in those seats year after year seeing we get knocked out of the playoffs in game. Seven Rangers Devils. We're up three. We're up by a goal. Twenty-five seconds left. I'm thinking we're finally going to the Stanley Cup Finals, and they score a goal to tie it. And you could hear a pin drop. And you you know for the intermission between overtime, you could hear a pin drop and the emotions and everybody thinking that we are cursed because that's what people would say. We're cursed. We were worse than the Cubs last year.
2: <laughs> if that's possible.
1: And sure enough, Stéphane Matteau gets the wraparound goal and scores that overtime goal and one of my favorite, favorite moments and one of my favorite games, not only because it was such a great game and it was such a long overtime and the game seemed to go on forever, but just the the anticipation of waiting and knowing we're going to the Stanley Cup finals and um, the emotional roller coaster, which is really what you want out of a sporting event or any entertainment, which is... How do you get away from all the rhetoric and everything else for like an hour or two? Forget about all your troubles and just get wrapped around to some competition and some fun. You know, there really aren't any repercussions. There aren't any downside to it all. It's just a game. But meanwhile, everything that maybe been troubling you or bothering you is pushed aside for the two hours while these guys compete on an incredibly high level and entertain you. And that was probably uh, one of the great, I would say one of the great uh, few hours for me.
2: Chris, you have one question, and then he really has to go. I have one
0: question. So now I'm back on my feet, Neil, after the lightning round. Uh, no, 30
2: seconds.
0: By me. F- but I would say, Brandon, you made a fortune selling dirt. And I want to <laughs> know. <laughs> <The> <laughs> it's a mentioned. feat I've in my mind gone through. How did you think of that? <laughs> what precipitated that? And my God, you've got the world's greatest <laughs> supply of dirt.
1: Yeah, you know, the one thing about the dirt and its game used dirt, which predominantly is mostly from Yankee Stadium, which you can buy game used dirt, which I'm very grateful all the players to bend over and grab a little, put it in their pocket as they endorse my product. Well, two things. One, I love the dirt because of the margin. Margin on the dirt is <laughs> phenomenal. And, and also the inventory level because, and the inventory <laughs> level and the dirt, which, you know, we're all in product business understand inventory is an issue, but underneath that dirt is more dirt. So a, that's nice. Yeah, we like Even that. Even more
0: brilliant, Wyatt, right? But the dirt,
1: you know, the dirt always hit me. There's, you know, Ruth, Mantle, Garrick, DiMaggio, everybody that's walked on that field. And, it's you know, it's a big deal to go on the field at Yankee Stadium because the people that have been on that field, the Jeters and Mariano's. and So, you know, I kind of felt like I'm looking at Derek Jeter. I'm like, how much can you ask a man to do? I remember Derek saying to me once, he's like, I've done more for you than I've done for the Yankees. I mean, this guy signing and appearances and everything, I mean – was a great partner for all these years but I, I felt like the next thing is how about the dirt underneath his feet and it kind of started with that and and just a little capsule i looked at it, it as almost like a rabbit's foot and it just took off you know we figured out we probably have about two or three hundred skews of dirt so we sell dirt clock keychain <laughs> uh we have uh, uh, maps of all the dirt from all the ballparks the viscosity of the color is a little different we have capsules of dirt dirt pens and in case you're worried dirt he's crystals. not out there digging up himself He's yeah, well, sure it's all authenticated. It yeah. <laughs> it's taken by an independent person. We don't take the dirt ourselves. And it was, it's been exciting. We're, we're kind of, you know, we've been into this thing for about 10 years now. So we're probably going to, we may be calling the dirt, calling it a day soon. Although, because it's kind of a dirty business and it's probably hit its, <laughs> it's probably hit a little bit of its limit. Yeah, there's no cleaning <laughs> that up. But um, it's been a blessing. I mean, and, you know, it just shows, you know, the Yankee brand and there's something special. Although, we did, you know, we have sold well over a million dollars of grass. Um, legally, legal grass. I mean, we. we Depends on what state you're in, Brandon. Well, we've lifted the grass <laughs> off the, many of these fields and then freeze dry it. So we've sold grass in a little case. You can have a little piece of Wrigley Field, a Notre Dame, or Yankee Stadium on your desk. It brings you a little closer to the field and the stadium you love the most. So it's been a good run. I mean, you got to go on SteinerSports.com and you go see the, all those products and you'll, you'll get a good laugh and you, know, you can buy some of it as well. Thanks, Brandon, we hope yeah. we can
2: do it again with you soon.
1: Love you guys. Hey, Chris, thanks for the time, buddy. Love you.
2: Thanks for sponsoring the podcast, Chris. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the Danny Barker Foundation?
1: The Danny
0: Barker Foundation is named for Daniel Moses Barker, a famous New Orleans musician. Um, We began after Hurricane Katrina uh, in the spirit of Danny Barker, who was a great musician and humanitarian, coming back from New York as he did in the late 1940s and early 50s He recognized that uh, a lot of traditional New Orleans music was um, dying, slowly withering away, and he felt compelled to do something himself. He was the great uh, nephew of one of the original jazz families of New Orleans, Isidore Barberin, one of the first drummers. And so Danny Barker took it upon himself to start a band. The members of that band are now famous. Uh, It was called a Fairview Baptist Church uh, brass band, and the members included Herlin Riley, Winton Marcellus, Branford Marcellus, Leroy Jones, uh, Michael White, Greg Stafford, a who's who of uh, New Orleans musicians who play today, James Andrews, the older brother of trombone shorty Troy Andrews, uh, Corey Henry, great trombone player in his own right. Um, so all of these musicians, uh, came through the school of Danny Barker. In tribute to him, we found, we created the foundation to distribute musical instruments to at-risk and needy children in New Orleans, um, when music programs and other things were canceled. Uh, we also started an educational program in New Orleans, teaching both performance and music to, um, kids in the city. Uh, and again, teaching the traditional New Orleans music to kids in the city. So, That's our foundation, and we still are at it. We now have uh, embarked on our fourth year of the Danny Barker Banjo and Guitar Festival, which takes place over the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday weekend in New Orleans. It's a four-day festival that takes place throughout the city. Yeah, and this uh, will happen um, again in January of 2018 over the MLK weekend in New Orleans. So please join us for the Danny Barker Festival. But uh, we're glad to have you listening and supporting the foundation and the work of Danny Barker, which continues posthumously for him through our foundation, and the kids of New Orleans and future musicians whose names you do not yet know but will one day. Thank you, too. They thank you.
2: Thank you. Thanks for that sponsorship by the Danny Barker Foundation. Chris, uh, we'll we'll have the episode end here, but uh, know that I'll be saying a prayer for your mom, and I love you, and I'm with you. If there's anything I can do at all, um, my uncle is uh, an ER doc in uh, Baton Rouge and has a bunch of contracts. And if we can be helpful in any way to be helpful to you, let me know.
0: I appreciate that. Uh, Neil, thank you. Yeah, I always uh, remember your Louisiana connections. (laughs) 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 Uh, Yeah, after after we talk. So thank you.
2: I, I love you, Chris. I'll talk to you soon.
0: Okay. Neil, be well. I'll talk to you again. You
2: too. Bye.